former U.S. National Rugby Team captain. Team captain. Head coach and general manager. General manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now. Now. Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining Full Contact CEO. I'm your host, Alex Magleby. I'm also the founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Joining me today is my friend, a former pitcher in the Red Sox and Oakland A's system, and now a scout for the New York Mets. Please welcome Connor Brooks. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Okay, so tell me about, you know, very distant from baseball and the entire ecosystem in a lot of ways, right? And you've been at the coal face for a long time of this game. You, you played growing up, played at BC High, and BC High actually has a great rugby team. You know, obviously, you played at Dartmouth, Ivy League pitcher, did really well, got drafted, went into the A system first, right? Yes. System. You've coached the game, you've scattered the game, you've seen it from all different angles. So kind of from a macro view, how do you guys build your system to find the talent you need who are going to be successful in the majors? Uh, well, you rely on information, relationships, boots on the ground you know it really is getting out to see as much baseball as you can uh first and foremost so that that has to be at least from this side of it um there has to be passion you have to have you have to have love both as a player as as a coach as a scout there has to be a want you have to want to go find the next player you have to want to play the next day you know and that's something that um, you notice kind of quickly uh, from afar if a player wants to be there or he doesn't want to be there. Um, so aside from all like the physical skills, you know, you look for, um, there's a lot in how a person just carries themselves that uh, starts at a very early age. You know, I, I did a little bit of instruction over the winters uh, since I've been working, you know, 10 to 15 year old kids and you have to make it fun for them. You have to make them want to like look forward to the next practice. So um, there's no macro way to do this, to, to build from within. I think today's athlete is a lot more individual. You have to have some subjectivity to coaching and, and even scouting um, and get to know where they come from, you know, what their backgrounds are about, what makes them tick. Um, That's I think where you find the best uh, athletes, people, uh, people you want to represent your organization. That's awesome. So how do you do that? I mean, you're on the road and you see a kid with a great arm. He's got a lot of power. He's got great mechanics. Whatever it is that you see in the physical attributes, you're like, okay, it's worthy, worth to have a conversation. How do you dig into that to see what his, his loves are and what his passions are? So uh, in my department, my field of scouting, um, we don't get the opportunity to really get up front with the player too often, you know, in amateur scouting, when you're scouting high school and college kids, which is not something I focus on, you get a chance to sit in their living room to meet their parents, discuss like what their goals are for their future. Um, but when they become a professional and they're somebody else's, you know, player, um, you have to make judgments from afar. So you get to do some research online and talking to coaches and talking to people within that, team or within that organization but you have to try to make an objective decision without using biases that people that actually want to promote that player so you take as much information as you can you try to come up with an educated decision 
whether it's independent research, talking to people, um, or actually getting a chance to actually meet the player, which was obviously the best chance to get to know somebody. Um, so it's, it's really important to be there, to have that chance to actually come across somebody that knows them, to start discussions with people you don't know, um, but do it in a way that, you know, you don't put people on the spot um, expecting something when you don't even know someone. So a lot of it is, is relationships, discussions, continuing those from afar, um, just maintaining uh, those discussions as much as you can uh, to get yeah. familiar with people. So like you, you, how do you guys break up your professional scouting? Are you responsible for a certain geography? Are you responsible for certain competitions? Like do you have New York Penn or something? A mile, like what do you, how do you guys break that down and organize it? Uh, it's different with every organization. Um, some do it regionally. Some do it by level. Uh, we do it by organization. So you get to know the player as soon as they come in. You get to see them grow and mature as they rise the ladder. Uh, and then you get to know like what the organization thinks of that player rather than just seeing them one particular year. So I have two organizations that I cover from top to bottom. It's every full season team they have. This year, obviously, very different in terms of what I have to go out and see. Um, but I also cover uh, the three leagues in Asia, in Japan, Korea, and Taiwan. Uh, I cover Cuba uh, and Mexico. So I'm spread out all over. And then um, there's also a, a branch of scouting called advanced scouting, which is more strategy-based, trying to help the major league team, you know, prepare for the next opponent. And so I'm doing a little bit of support with that this year as well. So I'm kind of spread out I'm doing everything from home, watching a ton of video, um, you know, trying to give an opinion without fully getting to know what make that makes that player tick. Um, it's not easy. You're not always right. But the thing about baseball is you can't be afraid to fail. Uh, you, you learn that as a player and, you know, it kind of works well from this side too is you put your neck out on the line and you, you know you're not going to always be right. That's great. And very similar to rugby and what we're going through. I mean, we have 11 different countries represented on the Free Jacks, and there's a lot of very strong rugby countries out there, a lot of the European countries, but certainly Japan is a very strong rugby country, and then certainly the South Pacific, South America, Argentina. There's language barriers. Um, there's, there's not boots on the ground in a lot of these countries, so very much we're relying on what their agent, their representatives say, and then trying to dig under. But then you find everybody's willing to give everybody a great recommendation. <laughs> that makes them look good. <laughs> like, no doubt. Yeah. So how, how do you find peeling that back a bit? Is it just because you've been in the game so long, you have relationships, you have the boots on the ground, or do you, do you look for other type of things that may be a red flag or a, actually this is pretty special? Just going after people who had some semblance of adversity. Okay, how do you find that? But like, what does that look like? For, for you guys, for you? Um, well, it's all it's different forms. I mean, baseball is literally, you fail more than you succeed. So you if you can't deal with adversity, you really have no shot. Yeah. Um, you have to be able to um, control what you control, the whole cliche. You know, there's so much going on around you. Um, you're constantly worried about someone taking your job, even if you're in the big leagues. Um, so it's, it's a way to deal with what's in front of you, where your feet are. And when you go internationally and you play internationally, it doesn't work for everybody. So it takes a special type of person to put themselves in a different culture and really don't know the language thousands of miles away. So even when you ask them to come to Asia, you have to make sure you, you have the right person, not just the right player. Um, Cause a lot of players will go over there and it just doesn't work out. So, right. you know, you look for just certain character traits that you can get from 
how they literally wear their clothes. Do they have respect for themselves? Do they know themselves well? Um, you know, that's a big part of baseball is, you know, someone's been telling you you're great your whole life, but can you self-evaluate? Can you actually make adjustments as you fail? So a lot of it is, isn't physical. It's really, you know, how you process what's happening around you. Are you aware of others? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a team game. You try to stress that, but it's so individual as well. And the player today, everything is focused on themselves. You know, you're getting all this data, what you look like on video, nothing that existed when we were athletes 20 years ago, but you also have this team concept. So you have to stress what's important for the player, but also make them realize it's, it's not all about them, you know, that they have to have this, this team mindset. So I think it's actually probably tougher to get that message across now than it was when we were playing. Are you finding that the players coming through now with showcase baseball, a lot more specialization, uh, are they having a harder time connecting to the team environment? Are they having a harder time adjusting to the adversity of having to go overseas or vice versa? Or is that not really the case? Um, I would say for the most part, players are a little more understanding uh, of others. Um, I, I think you have a lot less bad apples these days, to be honest. Like when I was playing, you knew guys that were stuck in one year, one place for multiple years, and that was where they were going to be. And they were like the mayor of the city of this small minor league town in California. I don't, I don't think that exists as much anymore. Um, you know, you guys are focused on themselves, but I think – they learn from each other more. There's just so much information out there and guys are taking it upon themselves to make themselves better based on what they're given. Um, so I think that is a, is a new way to actually develop yourself. Um, and it comes from not only your teammates, your peers, your coaches, but just anyone that, you know, basically understands that analytical side and can translate it to the athletic side. Um, so I, I think the, the learning curve has grown exponentially. Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of, I don't do a whole lot of like showcase scouting as much. When I was coaching at Boston College, I got a chance to go on the road and do that. <clears throat> that is a culture I, I don't I don't know as much about right now. It's, it's crazy to me how much money is involved at that level. It's making it unsustainable for certain demographics to participate in the sport. We're yeah. this across the board. And as for rugby, we're trying to be like, okay, what can we learn about, you know, the baseballs and soccers and lacrosses and footballs of the world for the last hundred years. But what, what has changed so dramatically over the last 20 years for, you know, three or four of those sports is that movement away from totally the scholastic model and pay to play travel. And for us trying to figure out, okay, we want to make sure that, our athletes are getting exposure to a, to a lot of different sports. Um, they have the opportunities to play representative ball, um, but it's not going to cost the family an arm and a leg and figure out ways to do that from the very beginning. And it's a challenge. Totally. You gotta coaching, you got to pay for fields, you got to have insurance. Um, it's a litigious society, so a lot of things change. And then you got a coach who needs to be paid, but then in order for them to be paid all year, they're incentivized to push the kids to play their sport all year. So it's a... It's a this cycle that is that is a challenge. No doubt. Oh yeah, totally exists in baseball for I know at least over a decade, um, and and I think it's it's hurting the game for sure. I think they need to come up with a solution where 
the people that are actually in the game that have, have spent their lives give back in, in the inner cities and the suburbs and come up with a solution that, you know, it, it's not a charge to play situation, you know, whether it's showcases or tournaments or even full teams, uh, there definitely needs to be more opportunity. Yeah, access, access at the local level to quality coaching, facilities, equipment, and identification opportunities, which is a big missing piece, I think, in a lot of our American sports right now. And something yeah. we don't have an answer to, but desperately at the beginning of this, trying to trying to build it correctly. And it's not just kids being introduced to the sport in PE classes, which is great initial exposure, but actually being able to develop. You said a couple of great things there. Just going back, first of all, I would love to be the mayor of a small town in California. <laughs> like, just loving life, playing minor league ball. That just sounds awesome. But second, you brought up a point. Tiger Shaw, we were talking the other day on the podcast, and he was talking about what potentially makes some of their skiers elite, you know, in a very competitive sport that's very objective, measurable, is the concept that a lot of the athletes that continue to progress are ones who can self-coach, are self-aware, know how to know how to interact with their coaches, know how to ask what they're not getting and say what they're not getting. And I thought that was a really pertinent point to your point about this generation, getting access to information, but then being able to synthesize that, I think is, is, is probably the key, the key driver there, um, right. which was really great. So what is your day-to-day like? You, you got to process all this information. You got videos coming in. This is obviously pre-COVID. What was your day-to-day like as a professional scout? Pre-COVID, um, you know, we usually see about 150 games a year. So February to November, uh, pretty much on the road, I would say 20 to 25 days a month. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, so it's a grind, but you have to see each player that you cover pretty much twice, unless you're fully convicted on them. Um, and then I would say my daily schedule starts in the morning breakfast, little workout, and then writing. We do probably two to three hours of writing a day. And then you are breaking for lunch, making phone calls, going to the field for batting practice, early workouts. At the field probably 3.30 till about 10.30, 11. Then you're back at the hotel, wrapping up the day, shutting it down. And it's it's pretty much like that for five days in a row. Um, At the pro level, you can hopefully be at one spot, but sometimes you have to travel within those five days. And then I try to get home, you know, on, on weekends for a day, go back out on Monday. So it's, it's totally different this year than it has been in the past. Um, definitely racked up the frequent flyer miles, uh, Marriott points. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's a lifestyle that you have to adjust to for sure. It's like, it's isolating, but you're also like in a different office every day. So you're meeting new people every day. So it's, it's exciting, but also like quiet at the same time. It's, it's a weird dynamic. Um, but it's, it's a busy lifestyle. Uh, lots of video work for sure. I, I have to start in the morning with stuff from Asia, uh, make sure I have the major league stuff done early for the coaches to get uh, prepared for the next series. And then, you know, every night updating the front office on what's going on with our team. So it's when the, when the games start, you know, it's almost 24 seven. Yeah. You're constantly looking for information. So you're basically in the car, Dorchester to Logan, Logan to wherever, on the road, then coming back. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. It was, I mean, I'm used to commuting. I I grew up in Plymouth and commuted to BC High for four years. Um, So, you know, even though I don't want to do that kind of commute anymore, I've added a few more miles to it. 
but it's it's okay. You know, living where I live near the airport, it's a quick shot back and back and forth. So, um, you know, it works right now pretty well. It's a great thing about Boston. If you live, you know, within Boston proper, just how easy it is to to manage Logan, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. How does that information roll up? So you're writing in the morning. I assume there's it's almost like a doctor. There's a certain summary that needs to be written or is it a narrative that you're kind of free to do whatever you want or is it okay information that is digestible in a certain way for the rest of my scouting team and then how does that information roll up so we definitely have a format we fall um we, we grade out the physical tools we make comments on the uh i would say adjustments on the field in terms of instincts and, and makeup and then you have a summary so you try to paint a picture uh, there is kind of a flow to it where you start with like what they look like. You start with how they move and then you go into the actual, you know, descriptive parts of what it looks like when they play. Um, and then you have to make a prediction about basically this is where you see them fitting in at the major league level or, or not. Um, so it's, it's a lot. I mean, you're probably writing up anywhere from 500 to 600 reports a year. Some guys definitely do more than that. Um, some teams, you know, where they, send scouts out, you have more than what we do with the Mets. They might have as many as 30 teams, 25 guys on a team. So you're having some scouts write over a thousand reports a year. So it's a lot. If you don't like to write, it's tough to adjust. Um, but that information will go into a system, a proprietary system. We have all kind of a one-stop shop for st- like stats, video reports. And then they have a daily report that says, these are all the new reports we have. The, uh, front office reads them. Even our general manager does a great job of like actually sitting down and seeing what we see. Um, so it's it's basically your way to communicate from afar every day. And they know that um, when certain players really stand out, you write a good report, you might get a phone call. Let's talk about what you saw or vice versa. You saw someone really bad. They're potentially a good player. What, what happened? So you try to describe the how and the why basically of, of what you see. <laughs> And are you making predictions saying, I think this is going to be a reliever. I think this player is going to be a really good, consistent average. This person is going to have a lot of speed. They don't have a lot of change-ups, though, so we can only use them in certain ways. Like, are you making those predictions for the front office? Yeah. I mean, I try not to get, like, super specific. Like, this guy's going to hit 280 in the big leagues, but some guys will, and they're a lot of times right. Um I try to say, you know, he's an impact player. He's a role player. He hits the top of the order, hits the bottom of the order, starting pitcher, reliever. Yeah, you, you definitely try to, like, characterize them in their role. Um, and then, you know, you, you, some people think that that's, that report you put on a pro player should kind of last the test of time a little bit. I kind of have to change year to year. I see nuances that I think affect a player at the big league level. Um, you know, you're really breaking down stuff like mechanics, even the smallest thing, you know, in terms of a pitcher, in my opinion, can affect the actual performance. So there's so many guys you have to kind of differentiate and, and find ways to, to prep them out. Um, so like small flaws can really separate people. Yeah. And, then, and for us, obviously the big first test at our level is physically, can they, can they play at this level? Right. There's a lot of really skilled rugby players, but 
it just there's a certain physicality as you approach professional international rugby that um, sets people apart. And there's a physicality to that, but there's also a mentality to that to be able to do that on a week to week basis, enormously challenging and for 80 minutes at a time. But for us, it's, it's big trying to figure out, can this person learn, right? And that's a hard thing for us to be able to figure out. And you, we have to go back and look, okay, have they been with a different team every year? And, you know, what, why? Why did that happen? And really dig into the, the nitty-gritty. And wherever they go, are they changing positions? Have, you been in, have they been exposed to multiple environments? That's probably a real positive, And they have adjusted well. Okay, adjusting well is, is really important. You know, and you get a player who's coming out of Fiji. Okay, you're coming to a Boston winner. Okay, what's that going to be like? Is there evidence of dealing with with weather adversity, you know, in the past? And, okay, is this person being in a leadership position? What does that actually mean? What is leadership to, to this person and how do they interact? And really trying to dig into that. But that's that's probably the challenging part. On when I, when I receive our version of that is trying to understand that more holistic side and, okay, where does this person want to be in five years? Do they want to be in Boston? Do they want to be a professional rugby player? Like what's their end goal here? And that's another big piece uh, that we try to digest. But yeah, it's that's a great point. I'd love to hear how you get all that information as well. Cause that is, is really hard to summarize, you know, quickly. You have to get to know somebody to get that. I think the biggest thing is, okay, let's find this person's adversity. What have they faced? What is that? It's, it's different for everybody. And some people, um, you know, objectively, their adversity is much more challenging than others. It doesn't mean that other people haven't learned how to deal with adversity. So trying to figure what that is, you know, and sometimes that is literally Google searches and trying to see where this person has been and where did they stumble and fall. Okay, they had a kid at 17. That's enormously challenging. How do they respond to that situation, right? And, and you know, where is, where is said kid now? And, and other things like that that go into just the whole whole puzzle. What's their education? Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, all college grads are better or anything else like that, but what has been their education? Why is it the path they chose? Have they chosen an apprenticeship and a skill and a trade as opposed to education? Have they not even thought about that yet? Why? What's their mentor? Who are their mentors? Do they not have mentors? Okay, that's that's probably a red flag, right? So do we need to do we need to find that person for them? Okay, now we're starting to talk about even more resources to make this person a success here. Maybe that's not the best uh, spend for us right now. Those kind of questions. So yeah, that's great. Into, you know, from all different angles and trying to fit it in. I wish we had come up with a better algorithm to do that because we've we've stumbled a couple times um not that the that they were bad players or bad people it just wasn't the right fit for where we are in our evolution and that was you know probably on us because we didn't dig deep enough right and so that's that's the that's the that's on us for and that's a big learning as we're just going through that process now we just had our first collegiate draft of course you know that every international player around the world wants to play in the u.s now the money's not as great but it's a great opportunity right so you have a lot of great players wanting to be involved okay how do you how do you find the right fit and that's again a lot of work uh, yeah it's almost like you're a private investigator at some points you know yeah. <laughs> it's, it feels a little like spying but you know that's the information's there yeah, absolutely, uh, completely. And, and, and there's a lot of lessons there, you know, for me as the CEO, then translating that and what I've learned 
through the sport of the last two decades into, okay, so how are we doing this with ticket sales, right? And how are we finding the right fit for who we are as an organization today, where it's not somebody who maybe they've been trained well in sales, but they also understand the challenges uh, of a startup environment. Um, and there's a lot of positives to that too, but there's certainly a lot of challenges and it's not a clear matrix on, on your roles and responsibilities and you're going to have to do other things. And when you leave the room, is it, is it better than when you found it? Are things cleaned up? You know, are, are you doing the dishwasher? Are you, are you emptying the trash cans? Um, all things that kind of the little things that make a small business go. Um, and then, and, you know, those are opportunities we don't always get to see in the interview process. And you interview somebody and it's like this, and sometimes it's just on a zoom and okay, great. We had a great relationship, great, great discussion. But then, okay, what's really going to happen when things start to fly and we got to hit our numbers and we're under pressure from our board and, you know, we're trying to service our community the best way we possibly can and they're upset that it's raining, you know, or 10,000 other things and how do you respond to that? So learning how to find that, that fit is, um, is a big challenge, is a really big challenge. I think we've got that right sometimes, but we're still trying to figure out that algorithm, particularly in the front office. The rugby wow. side is a bit easier now because we've we've stumbled um, and we've learned from those stumbles. Where front office, it's not the same volume. You know, we just don't. We're not hiring fifty front office people a year, right? And they have, having that transition. So in those transitions, you, you get a bit more um, savvy. We're just not having the same volume and turnover, same repetitions in hiring, right? Just like, it's, <laughs> what are those repetitions? Speaking of transitions, you're a, what, like fourth or fifth manager? Um, now with the Mets as you've been scouting? Yeah, this is number four. Yeah. Does that affect what you're looking for? Does that other tweaks or is it, how does that whole system work with, you know, from the manager, general manager, scout department? Um, I mean, in terms of manager on the field for the big league level, it doesn't affect what we look for. Uh, we're looking for, at my in my department, like basically underappreciated players that may not be in the right system for them, or someone that we know will be available and you know likely an upgrade for what we already have. I mean, we definitely scout for bigger trades for free agent signings, um, but when it comes to actually, you know, basically trying to improve your major league team, anybody that's a slight upgrade is somebody you have to mention up the ladder. So. Uh, whether that's due to injury or, or whatever failure, you know, not as good production uh, at the current time, you're constantly looking, can we get one game better basically at the major league level? Yeah. So whether or not you suggest the player and he gets acquired, um, you know, that end result is great if it happens from your scouting report, but it doesn't matter. Like you still have to prepare, like you are going to require, acquire that player. Um, and then, you know, in, in terms of the flow process of that, I mean, we we definitely have more of a win-now philosophy, get impact players now, right. um, draft players that have probably maybe more risk but more upside. Um, it's, it's a different strategy than we've had in the past with, with other management. Um, and it, I think they're all successful philosophies. I think if you trust your people to go out and do their job, you're going to get the right people uh, in your organization. So... I mean, I think we have a good nucleus of scouts and management, and I think we're on the right path. Um, you know, there's just so many unknowns this year, so many variables, so no idea, like, how many games we'll win. It's going to be like a 60-game playoff, basically. Uh, just going to have to show up every day and, and leave it out there. That's crazy. So, 
you know, I, I'm just from an external perception. If, so if I'm Rojas coming in, probably the one thing I feel like I control, if it's not the, 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 the physical talent of the players, is probably the culture, the, the connection between those players. And, you know, that's a great thing I love about baseball, right? And you said it earlier, it's like if you're good, you're, you're successful three out of ten times. And if the team's good, you're just over 50% wins. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're winning six of ten. Like it's, it's, a, it, it, it's a sport that humbles you, right? And you're on the road for, what, 180 days on a normal season or something crazy for like 160. What, how many games are there, 160-something? 162, so you're on the road for half of them. You're probably on the road about 100 days or so. Yeah. About spring training. So, like, okay, putting myself – in his shoes, it's okay. How do we make sure that we can perform every day? That we're riding this out. That people can get along because we're around each other for for long periods of time, and we're going to have slumps and individual slumps, and people are going to be moved off the team and onto the team. And so, culture would be a really, really the, the, getting the right culture would be really, really important. Um, so I think when he would come in, he'd be like, okay, scouts, I need to find these type of players. Or is that in terms of their mindset, is that something that, that comes down from the top like that? Or you guys are already saying, no, no, we're finding players with this mindset no matter what that, you know, perhaps can deal with adversity, are a bit gritty. You know, they, I guess to survive in, in, in the majors, you probably have to have some of those skill sets anyway. Is that, is that a, is that a, presumptive of me or no i mean i think ideally every organization's going to want to find a player with you know thick skin that uh not necessarily has a short-term memory but able to recycle that short-term memory so you don't have things carry over um for us in new york i think it definitely plays a factor in how you deal with outside stresses and distractions um i i think that we don't get like a mandate from top down, we do have a profile of what we look for in terms of a person and a player. Um, that begins at a way earlier process than when I'm scouting a player. They've, they've already kind of matured to their adulthood. So, I mean, I look for guys that, you know, maybe are in a system that doesn't kind of focus on the things we focus on. So you're not getting the, the things that we would get out of that player, whether it's on the field or, or off the field. Um, so, you know, I think we look for players that – um, are passionate. Uh, they are willing to make sacrifices for themselves and for their team. I tend to look for guys that, you know, have a little aptitude. I think you have to be smart at the big league level, especially if you're like a starting player. Um, I think, I think I look for guys that anticipate well, that actually can understand what's happening around them, like court awareness for a point guard. Um, you know, basically everything moving around you, you're, you're not going to get flustered and, and the game speeds up on you. So, uh, these are things I think that you don't necessarily see at, at guy teenagers. If you do, it's pretty rare. Um, so I, I, I look for the, like, those things that you can't really measure. You don't really plug into an algorithm. Um, that makes a big impression on me. But in terms of, you know, a one type player, no, there, there's no cookie cutter player for me. Um, honestly, I think the best players that I've come across playing and scouting are the ones that are really unorthodox that do things that you really can't teach. Well, that you would say, I would never do it that way. Cause physically, I don't know how he does that. Yeah. <laughs> Those are some of the best players out there and he's you probably would never change them. Yeah. He's got a Gumby arm and where if you're going high volume, very systemic, it's like, no, you pitch this way. Your mechanics are this way. You hit this way. Yeah. You're five. Yeah. Are only this way. Yeah. And some of them, I mean, you look at, 
you know, for instance, a, a certain player who may have the ugliest swing you've ever seen, but it works and he's a big leaguer and he's a good one. Yeah. Well, physically his body is that, that, that is his natural swing. He can't change that because his body is constructed in a certain way. I love that. So then you just appreciate they've been doing this this way for so long that they're really good at it. And I mean, a lot of Asian scouting is like that too, because their mechanics are way different than what is taught here. And you have a lot of styles that, you know, you don't see in the big leagues, but it works for them. They've been doing it. They've been taught that and it can carry over. So while you definitely try to find flaws in, in players and say, this is what they can't do. You want to like players. You want to focus on the things they can do and help them actually achieve the things that maybe they can do, but aren't doing right now. I love that Connor. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think that you see so often, right. And whether it's on the field or in the front office where, you no, know, no, this is the only skill set. This is what we're looking for. And they have to do it this way. Um, and certainly I've been down that path as a coach. This is how you make a pass. This is how you tackle the only way, but actually looking at it, okay, they got to the end result somehow. Let's celebrate how they did that, and let's create an environment where they can be sex- successful doing that. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. That's really mature. Yeah. I think the best teams allow the people and the players to be organic in how they do things. I mean, you have to – like a manager of a team isn't necessarily just pushing buttons on the field. You know the player in the clubhouse, and he's having a bad day because of whatever happened at home. That manager has to know how to push that button before the game starts, get him focused on the game. So it's not just yeah. relying on numbers and physicality and you got, you're hot today, you know, you're going to hit leadoff. You know, there's so much more to it. These are human beings that have human emotions. They come in with human problems and maybe sometimes the last thing on their mind is getting ready for a game. So um, a manager has to be in touch with that, in tune with that. That's really, yeah, I really love that. It's, it's beyond just the performance right there at that moment in time. There's so much else that's feeding into that. And understanding that as, as a manager, a mentor, a colleague is really, really important to help your colleagues get the best out of themselves, which is awesome. You guys are looking at athletes, and for the Free Jacks is really, really helpful in this entire conversation as we look for athletes. You know, we're a nascent sport growing really fast at the participation level and certainly what we do like festival wise and as an entertainment perspective, we, you know, it's got a lot of legs, but when we look for players, a piece of that potentially is what is their marketability off the field? Is that something that you guys even see or consider right now in the, in the juggernaut that is baseball? Does that matter? Um, Oh yeah. Um, I don't particularly measure that, uh, as much. Um, I think baseball can do a better job across the board in marketing players. I think players are, now able to take it upon themselves a little bit to market themselves. Um, so through social media or other outlets that they maybe have created themselves. Um, but in, in terms of, you know, be acquiring someone based on that, I think it comes into my job um, with the Asian market. I mean, we play in Queens. We have the second highest Korean market in the United States. You would think a Korean player or even maybe a Japanese player, maybe even a Taiwanese player, uh, would have a decent sized fan base in New York and that could change yeah. who literally buys tickets every day. So a couple years ago, um, you know, there was a very popular Korean player that became a free agent within major league baseball. And I mean, I was literally finding out what grades his kids were in because I wanted to have them matriculate into New York city and have no problem. We didn't end up getting the player, but you know, I was meeting with Korean officials in the city, like what would be ways to show him New York city 
to yeah. get him to get used to, you know, being here because he was coming from a city that didn't have that type of culture. So, I mean, it's, I think in my personal job, I look for reasons that this player would be attractive in New York. And there's, there's certain players I think would be extremely marketable in New York city and hopefully we acquire some of them soon. Yeah. And that's a big part of, of kind of when we're collecting, you know, talent is not only what the story may be and they're all different. You know, somebody may have an affinity for fishing. Okay. We can, we can sell that. We can put resource behind that. And that really helps us grow, uh, you know, one player may be from a certain country and then we can really grow that and using the trade groups and the business groups of those countries. It's a really yeah. important part, but beyond that, is educating the players and we're starting to go through this now kind of our first iteration of players players who understand that that is key to the success of the business that their brand growing is their stardom growing is at their character being part of the the narrative is a really really important part to the success of our sport in the future and um you know players who are more willing and excited to be a part of that that certainly gives them an up into longevity in this league there's no question all right last question if you're running the free jacks today what would you be focused on nutrition keep going keep yeah what you put in your body it makes a huge difference so focus on nutrition and sleep and recovery and Health, I mean, for me, the next frontier is health for baseball. Trying to figure out why you still have kind of an epidemic of injuries with pitchers, where the threshold is to, you know, basically say a player can't perform, he's going to break at that level, and keeping them fully committed to eating and taking care of their bodies. Because so I think it's really hard as, a, as an athlete with all the sacrifice and travel and demands to maintain a healthy diet. Yeah, and sleep, which was a really good point. And that goes for scouts, too, and CEOs. They have a strict diet of coffee and beer. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Cheers Kings Road Coffee and IPA. <laughs> awesome. I'm more of a sour beer guy. For some, I don't know what it was about Milwaukee's best, but it ruined IPAs for me. Yeah, it's still okay. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that one out. Next time you're around, next post-COVID, when we can all hang out again. Yeah, we'll meet up. Look forward to it, buddy. It's so great to see you. Best of luck as kind of this unravels and or you know you guys can start hitting the road again and kind of the craziness of this season can't be easy. Thank you. You too, Max. Appreciate it. It's great to see you. You too. In the next episode, I have the great pleasure of speaking with the former executive vice president and chief revenue officer of the NBA's Dallas Mavericks and now Major League Rugby's commissioner, George Killebrew. We have an action-packed lineup of topics to discuss, including the growth of the MLR, how it's disrupting the U.S. sports landscape, and how teams across the league are building communities of raving rugby fans. Woohoo! Join me and the commission on the next episode of Full Contact CEO for a can't-miss deep dive and behind-the-scenes look on MLR.